Coast and Astros of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, with a special guest uh, from Pittsburgh Coast, Travis Norman. How are you today? Alex, I'm wonderful. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, a little tired and not not probably as tired as you are being on the East Coast. <laughs> um, excited to talk in Estrad. Uh, you know, this is definitely one of my my favorite sets i think th- i think i could like pretty comfortably say this is my favorite setup set and or block of all time it like Same. is in contention with cons of turk here uh and i don't think anything comes close to those two um and and i would s- ironically both of them famous for having like a disappointing third set <laughs> um but uh before before we jump into that um who who whom star are you please please let audience in the world know uh where you come from and and, and everything yeah, absolutely. So I'm Travis Norman. I'm senior editor at Hipsters of the Coast. We're a you know gaming news and culture site, mainly focused around Magic the Gathering, but we've also done some other things with video games and other spaces like that. And I have a column called Far Wanderings with Hipsters, and it comes out every, usually every other week on Wednesdays. But I think I'm going to be ramping up a little bit here and there to kind of support the the new calendar and kind of content structure that we're moving forward with. Awesome. And yeah, there, there will be links uh, to all those as long as you provide them. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> links below in the description uh, for sure. Um, and uh, and and again, let's 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 jump into it because we can we can shout out things later on. Um, yeah, of course. So, so uh, kind of what, what the, the this conversation started in kind of two different places. One of them was. Back at um, MTG Summit, which was the event in, in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago, I was invited to do a Innistrad draft, triple Innistrad, original set, not block, um, and was reminded how amazing that format is mm-hmm. and how amazing that set is from a, you know, with draft really often teaches you from a micro level to the macro level. And then when uh, we realized you'd be guesting on the podcast and we were looking for something to talk to, I, uh, you know, rolled over and started creeping into <laughs> your Twitter feed uh, on recent conversations you had. And you had a conversation with Shivam about, um, Innistrad Limited in general, and uh, Shivam kind of made the declaratory statement that he hopes if there's ever a remastered set, um, that there they wouldn't print Spider Spawning because Spider Spawning, it like is the draft deck that people most often want to relive when they get their very rare chance to be able to play Innistrad, and because of that, it, it's kind of warped replaying the format for in a way because everyone is trying to do that deck and so the other archetypes don't get really picked up which from the perspective of someone who just did that draft format uh, absolutely is might may be true (laughs) um in the sense that i definitely was like okay i'm just gonna pick up every blue flashback card and hopefully spider spawning gets past me and instead two burning vengeance got past me and i had my second favorite deck from that and actually I would argue probably my favorite deck from that format. Uh, the spider spawning one is cute, but, um, but yeah. And then, and then that conversation kind of exploded. And then you and me were talking and we're like, Oh, inner is dope. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, yeah, like speaking from experience. So I have a triple inner cube and I, you know, bring it out for usually Halloween, that kind of thing, draft with people so they can kind of experience what it's like and how great it is. And I can tell you, you are correct in that the first time someone drafts it or, or if they're just kind of passing through, they're kind of being the tourist, just kind of taking the photos and moving on. Yes, they go for the spider spawning deck. Usually at least one or two people at the table do. And they're always encouraged by pack one and pack two because you'll get two out of the three pieces 
you'll get either spider spawning, you'll get runic repetition or memory's journey to get the infinite loop. So they'll get two out of the three and then maybe like midway through pack three, they realize that the third isn't coming. And so they start scrambling. And so at least one or two people have these like Sultai or Simic, just good stuff piles. And you end up seeing that like, that they tried to do the spider spawning thing and they couldn't. And then you have somebody else that is just completely demolishing the table with like Mayor of Averbrook and Dark Thicket Wolf and stuff like that. Bloodline Keeper, that kind of thing. But it follows the same script usually every time. And, and, and it was, it was, I mean, it was really interesting to play. I think that like people also forget how iconic every draft archetype is in that format. I mean, like uh, uh, Chris Mooney, they posted like I, the, the, the color combo that I dislike the most, or not dislike, but they end up like not being able to figure out unlimited the most. And, and for those Chris, Chris works at wizards um, is the, is the, the council of colors representative of white mana. Uh, if you like what white is happening, what white is doing in magic recently, uh, they are partially responsible. <laughs> um, but uh, the, they're, they ask, like, you know, I, I, green, white is the color that I have the most trouble figuring out what to do in limited. And what's your favorite one? And, and my answer was the green, white humans with the, the flashback spell that is now on the screen that I'm forgetting the name of, but we'll Trial look up. Hopefully we'll, yeah. Tra- which is like, yeah. It, it might be one of the few first times in Magic where I like figured out a card was good in Limited because Inishra yeah. was that early in my like draft career. I was like, oh, wait, I just win if I play two, three where like two, three human creatures and this card. <laughs> and so I think I think like to kind of the the point on if they were to do a remaster set, I think there is a card to not include specifically from that block. But I think spider spawning, getting rid of it, I think hurts a lot of the excitement for that set. And I do think that over that set existing people would learn to try the other things. Cause the other things are amazing. And it's, it's not like this is my one chance to ever get to play this format. I'm not going to waste it and not try and do spider spawning. It's, oh, I get to do this a bunch. Um, and for the, for the people it's in, invi- invi- don't put invisible stalker into a limited format. <laughs> I disagree. I think, I think it's totally fine. Like I think the, the whole concept of invisible stalker plus butcher's cleaver, which is like the busted, I'm going to win this game of limited thing. I think that kind of smoothens itself out because they are both uncommons. And so if you're lucky, you're maybe going to get, you know, one of each or anything. If you see them together at all. Like mm-hmm. you might end up just getting, you know, invisible stalker, just, you know, suiting it up with something or put travel preps on it or whatever. But it, it seems so rare that that happens. And even if you do get both of them in your deck, it's not like there's any way, real good ways to kind of tutor the stuff or anything sure. like that. So it's like, it's so infrequent, but I think it's one of these situations where the feels bads of losing to that outnumbers all of the other times that you just never see that thing happen. I think I think maybe there's an argument to make like invisible stalker rare. That's fair, which maybe is the answer now that I'm like, like still have it in there, but have it. I mean, it'll become like the joke rare you open when you like crack open your whole box or whatever, because like the card is worthless. But I think it's iconic enough too that like you could do a really cool art treatment to that card that people would love. And like it's not like it's a non playable commander card and in other formats. So um I, I do agree that like the icon- removing iconic moments from those formats is not well. I would bet money they remove Invisible Stalker from the set 
if I were to like, if we were like betting on this, mm-hmm. uh, knowing knowing statements that designers I am friends with at Wizards have made about that format and specifically just that card, and then knowing that they removed, um, uh, what's it called, Swarm from Oh Sprout Swarm, where they wanted to make it mythic, like they tried it at every rarity, even mythic, and even then it was still too good. Yeah, yeah, and like in in uh, not defensive Invisible Stalker, but I got Invisible Stalker in my blue red Innistrad draft, and I the only equipment or way to pump it I got was the one mana dagger that gets plus two yeah. plus zero if you're a human, and I won three of my six games that I won off of just like turn one knife, turn two Invisible Stalker, turn three, you die in four turns. <laughs> good, good luck. Um, and there was one that was really against uh, uh, Nat draft Nat on Twitter where she had turned to the human that can now we're just talking about Anastrad draft the, the and that can pay one to tap someone a creature down. Oh, I think it's Abyssinian priest, I think. So, yes. Yeah, I think it's they're yes. definitely a priest. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, and then they played the two man enchantment that gives plus two plus two and flying. Oh, it's like I think it's spectral journey or not spectral sure. procession. It, it was a it was standard playable. There was like a whole standard yeah. deck around the card because it was like giving anything flying and plus yep. two plus two decks could win with it. But it was Geist of Saint Draft who you were giving it to it then. Um, but yeah, we'll get into like how, how much of a banger the Innistrad is behind behind the draft format. But um, and then she got mana flooded and I got mana flooded. But because my thing was doing four damage a turn that she couldn't interact with and her thing was doing only three damage a turn that i couldn't interact with we were both just like i guess you die <laughs> in six you know, turns or no one did anything passing in the night kind of yep. thing <laughs> um which was which was funny but uh format's a blast i i do i like go, going back to if they were to do a remastered um i think that i would be very surprised if we don't see it soon i think i think in some ways there's like a dark we're in the darkest. Well, there's a lot of ways we're in the darkest timeline, but I think one of those is that Time Spell Remastered got delayed by the like year and a half that it got delayed by. Mm-hmm. I think I, part, I don't even know if it was due to COVID. I think it was due to COVID, but it was delayed yeah. by about a year. And in my head, that year delay um, was enough of a delay where they didn't get the response from the public for that set coming out. And I, in the way that it was, it was positive, like it was well received, but they didn't get it in time. So that's why double feature exists. Like mm-hmm. they were planning on doing, Hey, maybe remaster sets will be good. And if they're good, we can do Innistrad remaster to time, like within the year of the return to Innistrad with vow and midnight hunt. But then they didn't get the data in time. So they were like, ah, we don't know if this is going to be a good idea. What if it does terribly? Do we want to double down? Let's come up with another product idea that's different mm. and we'll do an Anastrad remastered the next time we come to Anastrad. Um, and so I, that's, that's my, my tinfoil hat theory is that we should have had it by now, but I want it so mm. badly because the set is so good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like as we did have that period and I, I don't recall the exact, you know, dateline dates as far as like in between midnight hunt and crimson vow but i remember there's a long period in which crimson vow was like the most common set you know the most current set and so i wonder if the community appetite has just is still kind of full like we we had our fill of innerstrad for two sets plus double feature and so like maybe there needs to be a bit of a break either a year or 
for what it's worth, maybe we even need to get to a point where it's September, October again, where the appetite for the kind of spooky flavor comes back. I feel like the community, we might need a little bit of time to wait. We need to see other stuff and kind of get, kind of build the excitement again, because I think, I think we almost had, you know, quote, like too much of a good thing because, you know, double feature kind of put everyone over the cliff with, you know, all the expectations that it would have been in a Strahd remastered. And then it just became more of the same, you know, like you're going back for seconds or thirds at a buffet place and the, the chicken tenders just don't taste as good anymore. That sure. kind of thing. You almost wanted to come up like in two years when we're in the middle. I do think I do think it's the next remastered set to do. I think there's only like three. Yeah. I guess there's more than three three sets I would do remasters of. But I think I think it, it is one of the ones, especially if you do not just the block of Innistrad, but you do like Innistrad holistically or Shadows plus Innistrad, which like yeah. getting a format that has both madness and flashback in the same set sounds really, really sick. <laughs> um, and I know uh, there's definitely some cubes out there that do that similarly, but the the only one that I can see, see maybe happening before is like a Ravnica version of it, just more really? from okay. a like, if we don't have plans to go to Ravnica anytime soon for story reasons, but they want us to like keep Ravnica as a as a thing we know about you know as it's mm-hmm. as it's coruscant or as it's tat whatever you want to say the central world of star wars is yeah. um even though we don't have a reason to go back there here's a remastered set in three years because we have 10 years before going back to ravnica or whatever that that's the only mm-hmm. reason i can see them doing something else but yeah. i think from a beloved perspective and looking back at like which format do people want to play the most that like you can remaster with its other sets and make interesting. Cause I think the problem with Ravnica is like the, you kind of have to have it be multiple packs. Yeah. Like you can, you could shuffle a fate or pack and an Innistrad pack together. I feel like and the drafting format doesn't feel that different than those packs being separate. I don't think that's true for a Ravnica set that you like original Ravnica when, or, or Re- return to Ravnica when you're drafting all three packs separately where it had that ebb and flow. Hmm. Yeah, because initially I was thinking that perhaps there'd be a return to like a Tarkir kind of thing. And I don't know if it would be like Tarkir as like a set itself, but rather like a blend of, you know, dragons and cons and Fader Forged and all that. And then perhaps that's, you know, if we're going to speculate financially here, perhaps it's another easy way to reprint the Allied Fetchlands or something again. But but yeah, I could, I could see, personally, I could see Tarkir coming back first because I think there's a lot of, people whose origin story starts around there, you know, incidentally, just a couple of years before, you know, the Innistrad and everything with what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. But I could definitely, you know, see both coming back in some capacity, at least in the next maybe two or three years, because I think with the return of Eldraine being so soon, we're seeing that there's more chance of a higher velocity of it just kind of boomeranging back around to another sure. set. Because it took how many years from just original Theros just to get back to, you know, Theros beyond death. But now, you know, Eldraine is what, three years, four years, maybe until the return. And that that's, that's like some of the quickest turnaround we've ever had. Right. And I think some of that is, I think, I think some of that is one, the, 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 the loss of the block system, right. With, with the end of cons blocks are gone. Uh, two, and what just means it's in general, we're just going to return to sets more often because they can, because they get to do three sets a year. They now get to do a new plane, a return plane and a 
whatever they feel like playing, if not for a year now that they've kind of re-gotten rid of blocks or, or re-gotten rid of corsets. Um, but I think that I think the return to El, I think it's also story relevance, right? To some extent is like, I think, I think Eldraine was set up in the story in Eldraine with Oko was set up to be, and whatever's going on with Garrick and whatever is going on with the Kenrith is kind of set up to be the next thing we do be it post Phyrexia, be it Oko is this big bad guy, be it mm-hmm. something to do with Garrick, be, you know, whatever, whatever that is. He is also like the last of the original five planeswalkers that hasn't like been really a main character. <laughs> He's like been on the sides other than a corset that was his focus. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what we do with Eldraine versus Tarkir, which I know that has been kind of mentioned is like one of the problems with Tarkir is the part of Tarkir that's beloved doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. And how do you tell that story of it returning if you're doing it in a single set? Because you like you can't do kind of what... They learned that Battle for Zendikar is a bad idea, right? You don't want to go to the return... You don't want to return to the bad version of a plane. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in a two-set thing, which then takes up the whole fall. They are proving that that's a possible situation. The other thing that I think is interesting is that, and this is a massive tangent than what we were planning on talking about, but uh, Mark Rosewater, uh, Light Humphreys, and I think it, Gavin, all three of them all posted like within a week of each other, something along the lines of, if we were going to go back in time and do a like similar how we just did Brothers War, if we were going to go back in time to see a different plane, where would you want us to go? And a lot of the responses to that were favor forged era Tarkir. <laughs> and they are all wrong because we got to go back to Mercadia. I, I will, I will stump so, that all day we, long. Is Mercadia destroyed? Can't we just go there and it's around? Well, here's the thing. Here, so this time is the, travel. <laughs> this is the answer that you can apply for Tarkir. Just show up, like you know, twenty years before everything happens. And so you could just have it be like a prequel. And so, you know, there's plenty of space for Mercadia to be the next kind of redemption arc because we had it with Kamigawa. We, you know, for years they kept saying it was the most unsuccessful set. You know, it's hard to convince the powers that be to go back. And we and they came back and it was amazing. Like, you know, it was it was Neon Dynasty was so fun and so fantastic. And there's no reason why we can't go back to this kind of like airship seafaring place of of Mercadia. Granted, I think one of the main challenges with this, outside of the fact that it's a set from even beyond when most people playing Magic now are, you know, unfamiliar, is that, you know, Ixalan, I feel like has picked up the mantle as that kind of seafaring, swashbuckling sort of magic set sure. that Mercadia was originally, because there was so much nautical related stuff, you know, with you know, the Rashad and Port, the Supraza in the islands, that kind of stuff. But Personally, but I think my, deserve to go back. No, no, no. I, I, my, my point more was I don't. We don't need time travel to go back. Yeah, right. Like, like we could just go to Mercadia right now, and Mercad. It wasn't destroyed by Phyrexians. It like it just exists, and a lot of stuff yeah. has maybe happened. And I think that would be a really cool thing to do. Uh, but we like. I think the point was more like if you have to use time travel, right? You have to go to a sure. time period that something like going to Wrath before everything that happened in, in, in the Weatherlight saga or going to shards of Alara before the, not even just before they were brought back together, but before they were split the first time, you know, there's, there's these, all of these cool, which that is the question for the, for all the people commenting where, which, which time travel plane would you go to? Uh, Travis would pick Mercadia. <laughs> any, day of the week. 
<laughs> which sounds more like you just want to go there no matter what the prompt is we're going we're doing yeah, a return it, set <laughs> it doesn't matter like you could do the very beginning of the plane the end i i don't care like i want to get back to like that kind of mediterranean feel of you know it kind of okay. like seafaring style set there so what if how much time has passed since we were last at mercadia honestly i have no idea okay um let me think so it was during the it was like it's the beginning of the cabal story right it's like the right after just post the phyrixian storyline which i believe is over a thousand years i think we've like passed that thousand year mark i'm 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 asking because if it is then that means mercadia could just be ixalan (laughs) there's an entire we could draw that line sure conquistador spawning famously from a mediterranean part of the world uh the section down the mountain, all of that. that we don't know anything about that has a bunch of vampires and i'm i would i would bet that if i looked up mercadia there's a vampire that's and there's pirates <laughs> there is something beautiful to the kind of you know the realms of magic kind of interacting with each other because when i wrote an article about you know magic's depictions of life on the plains you know, I was looking at the Daru clerics in Onslaught. And so we know them as far as like having like the hats and the, and the, the armor made out of like the high grass, like the reeds and everything. And they they worshipped this, you know, this spirit in the sky. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the spirit, but they had this like kind of angelic, this kind of spiritual, you know, deity that they they prayed to. And it turns out they were actually just praying to Sarah. And, and so they, were, they didn't know that, but the, all Sarah Sanctum and everything that we know from like Urza's saga and all that, which is floating above these planes and here are all these people, you know, looking up and worshiping it. And so it was like the two different things kind of overlapping each other, despite being, you know, years and years apart. So there could be some overlap that happens with the Venn diagram there. I mean, I mean, at like... I think one of the, my favorite moments in Ixalan block uh, outside of like being excited for our, the specific tribes they've chosen because it was like a who's who's of things that I wanted to see be big and magic for basically my entire time playing up to that point, uh, other than maybe vampires because they were already a thing. Uh, sure. Merfolk dinosaurs and yet yeah, uh, <laughs> and pirates. Uh, but, um, you know, it, Azor being the final villain of that arc and it being like, oh, this massive planeswalker character that we all know because of the Azorius and what's going on on Ravnica, he's the thing that's here. And that was such a big, like, brain brain blast. So Ixalan famous for having big reveals like that. And there was a vampire and it was uh, Evancar, uh, was a vampire in Master yeah. Block. So, so there were vampires. He could be the original vampire on this plane. And just over the 3,000 years, the name of the plane itself had changed and became, you know, the, the continent of, of Mercadia had been overrun by vampires. Shenanigans ensue. <laughs> That would be that would be wild. I don't know. Okay, so Innistrad. <laughs> Innistrad, yes. Innistrad. Um, Back to the spooky stuff. Please, please, uh, please check out our sponsor TCG Player with using our affiliate link below. Please check out Hipsters of the Coast uh, and for for what Travis is doing, and uh, check out uh, everything that you know. We're on Channel Fireball. That's where these articles get posted as well, and uh, all all of the other good things. Uh, 
and Patreon. There's a whole pre-show. We talked about biking and how it's important to balance your hobbies between magic and other things. All of that in the pre-show on our Patreon for all Patreon uh, uh, subscribers. Plus, you get a cool altar sleeve of me attacking Ben with Force Lightning and him being Luke Skywalker. If you're a Patreon member over, I think, $5, uh, you get it just you get it for free uh, from for October, November, uh, December and January. So uh, make sure to check that out as well. All right. Now we're doing it in a strad. So I, one of the things, you know, that we 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 talked about before is its influence in general on modern and just kind of banger after banger of cards, both from this block that just like have been so influential to the format. Yeah. And like in, in, in doing some research for this episode, I was finding just this like amazing kind of ripple effect on all different corners of the magic space and 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 Innistrad itself represented this almost this kind of watershed moment where things were kind of branching out like for instance you know edh you know what it was called at the time you know commander as we know it now was in its infancy and that was right around when the first commander decks were coming out and so this was at that point when you know, we started to see certain staples that became long-standing commander stuff like parallel lives you know, Dead Eye Navigator, although it's you know no longer the staple that it once was, and things like Cavern of Souls, that kind of stuff, and like all of that stuff comes from Innistrad block in particular. But at least when it comes to Innistrad itself, there's countless you know heavyweights that we've seen say influence the modern format in particular. You know, namely things like Liliana the Veil, Snapcaster Mage, that sort of stuff, Champion of the Parish. There's just a laundry list of things that Innistrad has left its mark, despite being something from 2011. Well, and 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 like even to your point on Commander, it, it's kind of this watershed moment in the sense that like after Shards of Alara block, which was definitely a, a beginning of Commander exploding, um, Wizards didn't realize that and decided we will not have any gold cards <laughs> for over a year and a half. Uh, the first one being Glissa and Tezzeret in in Mirrodin besieged, besieged, and then New Frixie, I think at Jor Kadeen and maybe one other that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Sure. Um, yeah. But Instra was this first moment where you're like, oh no, here are four flagship, or I guess it was three. Here are three yeah. flagship legendary creatures plus McKay, you know, Macaeus being the human Ooh, one that sure. was mono white, yeah. um, and werewolves. We'll get to it in a second. <laughs> um, but you know, here, here, here it is, and and they were a massive success. All, all Grim, Grim, Olivia, and Geist are these kind of big three, uh, shonen protagonists of, <laughs> uh, of Innistrad block, where like they really allowed people to kind of like attach themselves to these characters in the first time. And I think, I think Wizards learned that lesson kind of moving forward, where you have these faction leaders existing, and 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 even on the modern side, you know, modern was created relatively quickly after the set came out and and the the effect that Innistrad basically had with Snapcaster Liliana you know being arguably two of the five most iconic cards in the format forever um out the gate kind of just like setting the tone yeah and and it wasn't even just when it comes to like looking at the the rares and everything like sure we we had stuff like champion of the parish and snapcaster and all that but you know we also had things like say delver of secrets think twice was also you know a common thing yeah, obviously we, we don't have to get too far into the other blocks but you know there's even things like say bump in the night that ended up showing up in that black red burn deck for a while like there's all sorts up and down the rarity you know charts for Innistrad 
there are lasting tools that have come and gone in, say, the modern format, all from this one particular set. And I think there's a fascinating you know, design element behind this in that there are some designs that we've seen that have still stood the test of time, but others that are just kind of deemed not good enough. And then some stuff from this era of magic design have just been completely banned, but they all lived under the same roof. Like, say, for instance, if we look at Dark Ascension, like you have, say, Fateless Looting, which was banned in, in you know, modern, for instance. And it's obviously a very polarizing topic there. But that's right alongside, say, Lingering Souls, which is like one of the fairest possible cards you can think of and just kind of like a solid build around. There's so much you know, that goes into it. And it, it seems like such a fa- it's like such a fascinating challenge to look at, like to kind of understand what was going on through the design team at, you know, at the time when building this, these particular sets here. Yeah. And, and it, it like, you talk about on like thought scour, right? We, we like randomly discover yearly cards from these sets. The fact that Garoff's messenger is a modern staple right now, one of the top yeah. five best decks in the format and hadn't seen play in modern before Yagamoth was printed. Like is a testament to kind of like some of the stuff that's possible. grave crawler, like, um, and, and like, you know, the, the, the other side of like unburial, right. Stuff that like has fallen out of favor, but at different times of modern were key cards to the format. And like, it would be interesting to see and maybe uh editor. If I think about doing it, what percentage of like, rares from this set have just seen modern play just like not even like massive modern play but just some amount to some extent is has to be math like high compared to others and and some of that comes with you know the land cycle you know the the fact that like beyond just the fact that you have the the enemy check lands which was this is the first time those are printed you also have the rare tap the rare taps gold spell cycle lands where you have loot house and you have gaviny township and you have Cassid wolf run and you have uh uh slayer stronghold yeah and like these are all cards that i've seen a ton of play um and and, and in some ways this this like deck it didn't invent archetypes like the delver archetype is fascinating right that that's one to me that i think is like it was a big player in standard delver then kind of has never made it big in modern because after the first event that modern had they banned pon- uh, uh ponder and preordain <laughs> out from under it and without that and brainstorm just delver of secrets doesn't work as a card it's a really interesting time i mean i think that era in general is kind of the I like in my head, I feel like it's the Disney Disney Renaissance of Magic the Gathering from Mm -hmm. like Shards of Alara block to um, really cons of Tarkir almost, I think, because like Battle for Zendikar, I think, is like the end of that that moment where like Battle for Zendikar was the beginning of like the storytelling epics uh, really happening. Um, Where not only did we establish in three sets in a row the major or four sets four of three sets in a row uh three of the four sets in a row three of the major villains of magic's future with shards of alar introducing nickel bullis back zendikar introducing the eldrazi and then um scars of mirrodin introducing the phyrexian no three in a row that was one two three <laughs> then we do innistrad and then theros uh and and but you introduce some of the most iconic planes of all time you introduced like one of the first and I think this is one of the reasons Innistrad is so successful. It's the first top-down set in 
20 years, right? Like basically it was like Rabia in <laughs> uh, Arabian Nights. And then they didn't do a top den flavor set until they got to Innistrad. And it so it, like whatever comes with that vein not being tapped came with just like oozing amount of creativity and the ability to link both flavor and mechanic and players expectations in a way that wasn't possible before. And that also allowed you to create spells that you think wouldn't have been possible, I guess. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, they did, they did lean heavily in the top down approach with the original Kamigawa, but I mean, sure, it was yeah, yeah. obviously really unsuccessful. And so perhaps you could say that like Innistrad was like a very shining example of a really successful magic set when it's guided from that top down approach. Like I know there was that design story. I think it was Mark Rosewater on a drive to work podcast was saying about how they took a bunch of, they just, you know, they sat in a room with a whiteboard and wrote down a bunch of horror tropes, like jar of eyeballs, black cat, village cannibals, this kind of thing. And, and they just wrote all these particular tropes that they knew and understood as well as borrowing from literature like The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, werewolves, and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, this stuff started coming in. But the beauty of this confluence of these two particular ideas is the fact that the set is just so good and so mm -hmm. fun to play. And, and it's like you can, you can have something that was like really busted from years before, like Mirrored and Block, even just coming off of, say, New Phyrexia when we had Phyrexian mana and there was all these particular mistakes that happened and things like that you know the mental misstep ban happening in standard just you know like I don't know I think a couple weeks or a month before Innistrad was released but yeah, then all I mean, of a sudden I mean, the summer the summer before Innistrad is Cobblade summer yeah <laughs> right Splitter Twin was a legal combo in the standard before Innistrad was released <laughs> Yeah, and then just this seismic shift in what had happened. And like uh, to get back to the Delver thing in particular, it's a fascinating change in, in what Delver did, at least when it comes to like legacy in particular. Like you look at there's where you know, it's a couple years ago they had right during the height of say like the Snowco era, and where you had, you know, Oko, you had Arkham's Astrolabe and Legacy and everything. And I remember playing Legacy Humans at my LGS in Northern Virginia, where I was living at the time fighting through all that stuff with meddling mage and all that. But so they had a, I think it was MTG goldfish had a pre Innistrad legacy event because Innistrad had just so much of an effect on legacy with Liliana, the veil with Delver of secrets in particular. And, and it's amazing how just this innocuous common, you know, this fugitive wizard that turns into a three, two flyer. It was a way of just weaponizing all of the best cantrips and legacy in that kind of blue red shell. And it continues to this day with being such an emblematic card with that. I mean, yes, there is, it has been in some cases supplanted by Dragon Rage Channeler, but it's it's amazing just how long its reign has been both in legacy and in pauper, and unfortunately not in modern because the cantrips aren't very good. Yeah. And modern has found analogous cards, right? Like Death. Not Death Ridge Shaman. Uh, 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 Death Shadow has been kind of the Delver of Secrets of Modern for That's years. Right. Um, that feels like a Zen. Because there's so many cards that like seem like they should exist in another space, but all of a sudden, bam, here right. they are. Um, 
for next time we go to Inner Star Wizards, let's get a Death Shadows reprint in the standard. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't know why you couldn't. That card's not good unless you have fetch lands and shock lands together and Thoughtseize. Uh, and then it's broken. Um, but the, the, um, I, yeah, and there's all like it, it, it is interesting when you look at the set because the next is tribes, right? Because it, it's an interesting feature of Innistrad where kind of like Ixalan, it was, hey, we're going to do tribal, but it's going to be five tribes we've ne- most of the time have not done before mm-hmm. um, or, or or not our merfolk or goblin or elves or, or whatever. It was zombies, which had been done before pretty consistently. Sure. It was vampires, which had just recently been introduced as the main black. These are the people that have cities. Uh, uh, tribe uh, or group uh, and then but with werewolves you know the the there have been three werewolves or two werewolves ever printed before then and both of them were like t- 20 years before sure, <laughs> like yeah. early magic era um, and with spirits you have like kind of what I refer to as like one of the five gold five, one of the five rainbow tribes where they're like and the other one being humans or, or another mm-hmm. one of those being humans where both of them have been everywhere, but have not r- really been focused on. And that, especially with humans, where this is the first time they had human tribal ever created and moved the thing to the generic group that like didn't really have a connection to a legacy playable deck to a modern playable deck to a, to one of the most powerful tribes in matter or uh, sorry, one of the most powerful uh, creature types in magic to the extent where I asked what's everyone's favorite creature type yesterday on Twitter. And by and large, the two most popular answers were humans and slivers. And which was surprising to me because I, I get that they're powerful, but they're boring. Mm. Why would you like humans pick, pick noggles like a, like a sane person? (laughs) Well, I think there's a beauty in, in liking the humans. And I mean, it is, I'm a little bit biased because I have played the humans deck for so many years, both in modern and legacy, but like there's something about that kind of thing where it's like, here's a bunch of people that are just like some random person with a funny hat. And maybe they have a wizard staff and they're going up against like a Tarmogoy for something or some kind of, wild thing there's some flavor thematic thing that you can get behind with a bunch of like people just getting together you know trying to you know accomplish a goal together humans are interesting because they have it's it's there's a there's a design issue that wizards came upon during original mirrodin which was if everything doesn't have a color you know, if everything is colorless, then the, or, or playing five color is easy, which is what happened in cons block it, then the format in standard at least becomes bad because it's not about there's just one deck and it, that deck isn't necessarily synergistic to be one deck to be the best. It's just, oh, this deck is playing every good card. It's playing mm-hmm. the, the top 20 best cards in the format. And it just that's what the deck is. And, and there's no way for anything else to compete because of that in humans, which is interesting have that problem almost because as as soon as you give them a, a, enough of a synergy of there's a reason to play them together, you now get to look at every set and a lot of the time the best card from that set has a high chance of just happening to be a human. Snapcaster Mage is a human. <laughs> um, and so so it was so fascinating when that deck just at when we went to shadows over in block, which is what really gave it the second human tribal push needed to become a modern relevant deck was like, Oh, if you just have like eight good things that make it. So playing only humans is, is, is good or 12. If you include cavern of souls, 
now you're just going to play a bunch of really good cards and they'll get to become six sixes for free at some point. And so you win games because of that. Yeah. And, and I find that it is fascinating. because, like, I am, a, I guess I am a little bit salty at a, you know, have, having gone through, you know, having, you know, the modern five colored humans deck, you know, sleeved and ready to roll going through COVID getting excited about playing modern again in paper. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't even see my deck on, you know, the front page of MTG Gold Fish anymore. And so I think, I think we are at least a couple of years out of that era of like, oh no, it's a human. And I, the, the signpost of that, I believe, was when Deputy Detention was a Vidalcan wizard and not a human. And I remember mm-hmm. that lost me a game in particular at, at SCG Philadelphia by one, po- you know, by one life against the, you know, the Drazi Toronto player. But, but nevertheless, it's, it seems like right now to to dive back a little bit into the episode you folks did a month ago about like stuff that's say no longer modern playable. I think Fury is one of those particular things of Fury and Solitude and all of the amazing, amazing free spells that we have now in the format that has kind of quietly pushed, you know, humans out. And and regardless of what has come out, I mean, there's been all these really cool designs. There, there just still hasn't been anything to really come around where the format has gone. And so I feel like the human, the human stack in any capacity, whether it be modern, whether it be legacy or even pioneer, it's going to need a lot to come around to what we have right now. Cause I mean, another thing in particular is that the challenge with human decks is that they're doing both everything and nothing at the same time. Right. They are all over the place. And like slivers gets away with that because they're five colors. They all give abilities and everything. But like, if you look at like a goblin stack, it's like, okay, it's like a little bit of aristocrats. They all kind of care about each other. You throw a bunch and do some burn, but like you have with humans, you have everything from like Tomek to Combal to Lavinia to Kaito free booter. And there's, they're kind of like trying to spread out too much and unless there's really that kind of binding agent, if that binding agent is good enough, like a Thalys Lieutenant, then it's great. But if it's not good enough, then, you know, all the pieces just fall apart really quickly. Right. It, it seems, and it seems like that's been the case for the past couple of years. And, and, and I think it, we've talked about this before, like what makes it so that a creature type based synergistic deck becomes viable in modern. Right. Like what what is the the line that pushes it over? And, and often it's oh, and it's always like over, especially over the other ones that are around, because because there there is always a few of these decks that are good. Um, and, you know, elves had, has always been, you know, one of them, but then has also fallen out of favor. Humans was a big one. And, and it's always kind of like there's two versions, right? There's like the monocolor, the two color classic ones, which are the like merfolk goblins elves etc and then there's these five color piles which i count like spirits elementals humans and slivers are, are kind of the four and slivers has done like you know has top eight i think agp once uh but the other three were at different times very defining features of the format now being elementals um and 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 it, it has almost always been one of two two things right they they something gets printed that creates a synergy that didn't exist before. Uh, you know, that, that, that is, is always a part of it. Cause, cause they often will attack on, I am playing a basic creature beatdown deck that does another thing. What is that other thing? It's different, but it's doing something else with humans. It was playing, um, you know, these creatures that basically disrupted your hand from being able to interact with it. 
as they just generically each one was able to kind of it was almost a hate bears deck in some ways that it was able to do merfolk is a land destruction deck you don't think about it but that's why merfolk is so good <laughs> uh and then also all of its creatures outclass like make it so fury is not the best card against you on the planet the way that it is other creature decks um now why, why it's doing so well now uh elves is making just so much mana how much mana can you make? A lot. <laughs> uh, goblins has the Snoop combo. One, you know, one gob. The re- goblins yeah. was probably of all of these the weird. I mean, out, outside of zombies and, and vampires who have never been good at modern, but of the ones that have been good at some point, uh, the one that like has always been this weird. Like, took the longest to get there, and it took them printing a one card as long as you have another card on top of your deck, two card combo to creating that deck archetype and 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 so it always is just like the right card so even with humans we could be years from humans being back as a modern deck right or we could be the next innistrad set we go to and instead of the next innistrad sets main human mechanic being like power and toughness being bigger than the other one the like more limited focused combat mechanic it's you know uh you get to thoughts use your opponent every time you play a human <laughs> or something <laughs> and like for instance elementals if someone's like oh yeah elementals is going to be the dominating tr- uh uh creature archetype deck i would have been like how like uh, compared to spirits like how how is it going to be flying flash creatures with counter spells attached to them um and like oh it's it's by printing a cycle of five free uh removal spells that cost nothing and (laughs) draw you three cards when you cast them uh (laughs) that's how you do it um so it's it's i think i think like humans for instance humans can come back the moment they print like a flash human that counters free spells right like the the that just like is a good beater on the ground without having to do that uh, so i'm interested to see how that works but you know and, and that's one of the beauties of innistrad where like it kind of did with its first run and its return show somewhat how to do this with spirits it gave spell queller and it gave this instant speed gameplay to spirits that then got to capitalize on both kamigawa and the first run we were here humans was Thalia's lieutenant and and uh you know giving enough power to it it's interesting that both zombies and vampires have never been these key features of the modern with vampires i feel like it's it's partially just the mechanical space they've played in all three times are very the most parasitic of hmm. the different mechanics like the first time we were in Estrad vampires were just about doing damage to your opponent and they got bigger, which is like very limited focus, which is not parasitic, just yeah. isn't like not doing anything. <laughs> Strong Kirk uh, kind of stuff. It gets a little bit bigger. It, it's kind of like the, the foundation of like a little one drop that snowballs, that kind of thing. You, you like in reality, it more created the aristocrats art- archetype than yeah, the definitely. vampires created a vampire archetype. And, and, um, and then the second time around was so madness focused and madness is such a hard deck to be constructed eternal playable. Like the power level of a madness card almost has to be problematic by the time it gets to the point where it's going to be modern playable. Definitely. Cause just like you have to be able, you have to be wanting to play this card that is going to need to be discarded as almost a two card combo. Like you almost need a like splinter twin. I guess that would be it. They printed 
a, a splinter twin, but it costs like eight mana, but has madness four. And then they also print a pestermite that like you can play this with when this enters the battlefield, you may discard a card to untap. I don't even think that works. I don't know. I don't know what I'm creating. <laughs> but <laughs> the 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 tribal mechanics of, of what they were trying to do. And then the last thing is flip cards. It, it, well, not the last thing, because I, I do want to talk about flashback, but the, one of the big yeah, of or, or let's talk about mechanics, the mechanics of Innistrad, because I think the sure. mechanics were a big part of it between flashback and double sided cards that with double sided cards opened up such a big vein of design space, right? That you now have the ability to create all of these really cool ideas and cards that previously were too clunky to do or too many words to do. And then, um, and gave you the power of werewolves and, and werewolves themselves have never made it. And partially, I think if I'm being honest, the, the, they have a combination. One of the problems that they like day night cycle idea was a bad one. And I think everyone, including wizards agrees. That was one of the big mistakes of the return to Innistrad this last time. Unfortunately, um, which, which was partially just like, Hey, to make, to make werewolves flipping the way they do work on arena, there's a much simpler way to do it, but it makes it not work with regular ones. That was a mistake. <laughs> it was also a very, difficult mechanic for commander like i had a werewolves deck well before in shred midnight hunt and it was just so bad and like i remember writing an article about it and i had found that the only way to really build a viable werewolf deck was to make a red green like prison deck so right. you know any kind of like rule of law factor you know rukthar kind of thing and then to punish enough people and then hey the werewolves can flip and we actually can do stuff it it's it's they're so inherently good for like one v one limited play. They're yeah. such a fun limited mechanic that just yeah. like it, if you mentioned, one. I think you mentioned it during the podcast. You maybe mentioned it before how Innistrad like kind of famously doesn't have very parasitic mechanics, which I think is one yeah. of the reasons it's been able to expand, except for the werewolf group. And and they do work well with like things that have mana dumps in them, but from a perspective of like they are trying to do their own thing, and that own thing doesn't translate well to commander isn't very powerful for modern unless just you're playing a generically good thing that does a generically good thing like Huntmaster of the fells um and so it is interesting the one thing i would say is interesting about the return to innistrad the most recent one uh with midnight hunt is they had the opportunity to really be like okay how do werewolves work in commander how do we make these interesting and they didn't do it <laughs> uh they like they almost like in my head it feels like they were like okay we have two big products we're doing right now arena and and commander and they're made like they decided to make the decision that werewolves for this set are going to be arena focused partially probably because they had a program arena regardless so they chose the thing that yeah. they had to do um and then, like, with the Commander product they released, they, like, kind of didn't make the decision to do a Commander deck um, or Commander playstyle-focused version of them. But I do think that hurts the tr the group now in general from a PR perspective, which, you know, it's... I'm now imagining a werewolf PR agent, like, on the phone. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't call them after a certain hour because you're just going to hear, you know, over the yeah. phone that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it is it is tough because like 
we're, we're talking about like a card game designed by a bunch of human beings that have their own thoughts and aspirations and their own hopes and dreams and fears and everything. And there's only so much, you know, delineation you can do between them. Like, sure. Like we have, you know, we all know that slivers kind of help each other out. We know goblins kind of just throw themselves at something like some of those kind of creature types are very, you know, comfortable and easily defined, but like for a werewolf thing, it's so difficult to find, to just kind of do it right without it being just completely busted and, and terrible for, you know, a lot of parties involved. So yeah, I'm willing to you know, extend some graces and extend some flexibility for that kind of thing. Cause it seems like it would be just an absolute nightmare to try and figure out like, okay, well, we're cut, we have a new set and we got to make homerids a thing. How do we make homerids unique? And it's like, <laughs> right, we got to right. fit it in between spirits and, you know, like illusions and find something in between. So it's hard, but they, I think, you know, they're trying to do what they can, but, but yeah, it, it's a very, it is, I think it is one of the kind of the larger disappointments that we didn't necessarily get some kind of really fascinating werewolf style deck because it is so emblematic for this kind of creature type here oh in all honesty like my my werewolf commander deck that i played for like a couple of years i just used Emberwolf as my commander i just had rule zeroed and that was great that's all i wanted i just wanted Emberwolf as my as a commander the the one that they came out with it's fine you know it's got you know draw a card on it and everything but but yeah it, it's so difficult to get that stuff right and it's not necessarily a job i envy trying to you know, throw a dart at a dartboard and hope that, you know, several million people are happy with what you did. It, it's, and we haven't talked a lot about Avacim Restored, but it's one of the lessons that I wish they took from Avacim Restored that I think they like, not a lot, they, they took lessons that Avacim Restored is bad and there are pieces to it that I wish maybe they pulled from because I think they created the solution to the werewolf problem on there and that's the wolfier uh which yeah. for people who don't know uh in Avacent restored when the angels came back the werewolves actually got locked into their werewolf or a portion of the werewolves got locked into their werewolf forms and they became these basically sentient werewolf people called wolfier um and uh there's like a five mana one that has soul bond plus three plus three and then there's the the three mana flash regenerate one um and I think you could do a legendary wolf here and just like, the, and they're just the first werewolf and that's actually what's going on here. And they're red green and, or maybe they're Jund if you want. And, and there you go. And now you have, now you have your, and, and have it, and have it just be Immerwolf, right. Or have it be like uh, the moon mist effect, uh, but activated as an activated ability or something, you know, there's, there's things you could do there. So I, I think there's like an interesting way to do it. I think from a modern perspective, I think just like the werewolf mechanic is a little too clunky to ever get there. Um, though, though, like the fact that Mayor Averbrook was a key feature to the humans deck in the early days of it being a modern deck is one of my favorite things about the deck. Oh, yeah. Like it was cool. But but granted, it, it only really lasted until they realized that you could do Phantasmal Image and then you could copy your Thalys Lieutenant or make a second, you know, Mantis Rider kind of thing. But it did, you know, Mayor of Averbrook did have its time in the sun for what it's worth. Yeah. Honestly, if Mayor of Averbrook was a red-green legend, I think that would also <laughs> fix the problem. Yeah, that's like true. They, they, do, they do kind of all of the things you, you need. Um, uh, but, and then and then the last, not the last mechanic, because there were a few, but I, I, with, with the transform mechanic, the other big mechanic to me that I think is one of the reasons Innistrad 
was so successful. It was like the first time they returned to the flashback ever. Uh, right. I think it is the like other than other than time spiral, which was it's wonky mess sure. that it was. It was, you know, after they realized, hey, we should do a return mechanic every set. We should make sure we have one mechanic that's coming back because there's all of these really popular mechanics throughout history. Let's focus on having that be a feature of what why why never return to flashback? Why never do cycling again? Um yeah. and flashback to me is maybe the best mechanic ever created. <laughs> I think your arguments are kicker flashback and cycling. And I yeah. don't like kicker and cycling is makes cards more boring. <laughs> yeah, Especially when it's just like, let me just see what else is there. Let me open up the refrigerator door to see if something else is in there when it's the same food that are in all, the, you know, it's in there all the whole, the whole time. Um, but then, but then flashback, like creates such interesting decisions. You can play stuff like Liliana, the veil and, and faithless, not faith, well, and faithless, but, and, and lingering souls, you can play with them, burial rights and gifts ungiven. You can do everything that faithless looting did, right? You can, you can play with your graveyard in a way. And, and, and kind of going back to the beginning of this whole conversation, uh, the burning vengeance, blue, red limited deck or the, yeah. the, the spider spawning deck where, you know, you, get to look at cards differently and how they interact with the game. Shiva, um, uh, you know, mentioned like, I don't understand how the blue red deck plays. Like I can't like, I'm not, you know, my version of playing magic doesn't love discarding value. Uh, hmm. Even though, you know, in, in the way that flashback works, you're able to say, no, 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 I'm most discard effects gain a they're using discard as a cost to gain a benefit and flashback says you actually get to draw two cards <laughs> you know this this collective brutality isn't escalating uh to you know make me discard a cards to gain value it's no i'm i'm getting all three of these options and i'm putting two cards in my graveyard that let me ostensibly draw two additional cards and that mechanic on its own is really exciting and then add the layer of wizard just going ham with it <laughs> like all these iconic cards all at once well and there's also i think a certain beauty to it in that you have certain things like say i think it's mystic retrieval and i was looking this up because i'm i'm interested in picking up you know a, the dan dan list as far as like blue red or blue black but like how you have a flashback cost be a different color or like say Forbidden Alchemy, one of the main you know signpost cards for Innistrad Limited, you know going with like the six and a black flashback cost there. So like it had a similar thing that you could argue then informed certain decisions perhaps with Tarkir block with how they had some of those legends like say Yasova Dragon Claw that was just green to cast, but then you know the blue red hybrid activated ability and so you have like that like the kind of steering people in a particular direction for their experience with how they interact with the game there so it is it is interesting when when it's there's like a conscious decision to put not just like think twice where it's blue you know one and a blue to flashback the same you know draw a card spell but like you know looking at a different you know doing oh this is like red to flashback this blue card that kind of thing it, there it's fascinating having that kind of thing show up in your design space and what kind of decks that that ends up creating. And, and I, I do think also like flashback led them into probably. I'm trying to think, I think it was the first graveyard theme set in general in 
in a very long time. I, I think I'm very bad at old set names, but the threshold okay, so, set. Well, yeah. So you had odd. All right. So you had. Uh, this is where this is where we'll we'll go. We'll get full boomer here. So you had Odyssey that had you know it was very much graveyard focus, and then and that got into threshold and everything. But then and then there was like say judgment and torment that had a lot of threshold stuff going on as well. And so you had you know famous cards like Firebolt and stuff like that, Nimble Mongoose come out and everything. So yeah, like getting stuff into the graveyard and using your graveyard as like a second hand, so to speak. And then subsequently, the sadness you feel when your werebear is no longer a 4-4 four, for four, two, when it gets, you know, when your <laughs> graveyard gets wiped. But yeah, they, they definitely kind of, you can see like the kind of breadcrumbs that they laid out from before and how they successfully implemented it with things like flashback well, and image trot. And, and that's that block, the not the original, cause there's ones before that, but that, that big graveyard block is famous for being extraordinarily fun for spikier players or for players that were very ingrained in draft, but for new players or for players that weren't totally on board, uh, was less, was less welcoming. And I think wizards, over the next 10, 20 years, or, you know, 10 years was testing different lessons with the Golgari and uh, what time spiral on like different things you could do. Um, yeah. And then by the time they got the initial, they're like, okay, how do we make a graveyard set? But that is understandable and fun for newer players or, or for players of all different skill level. And I think, I think one thing that just graveyard decks in general, graveyard sets in general, that almost more recent ones have failed to do as well as Innistrad did is they benefit depth of knowledge of the format in a way that's fun for everyone. It's it's new players get to draw cards twice because they get to play flashback spells, they get to play and they have fun with it. But strategic players get to like self mill in Innistrad. They get to use discard differently in Innistrad. They get to play around with that. And I think that specific feature is the thing that has been missing from subsequent revisits to the format um at least in my 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 opinion like, close with shadow shadows is great but madness is a little bit more on rails as far as that type of mechanic goes like there is a very simple obviously written out for you way to take advantage of a madness card yeah that's not true with flashback you can do what you did with madness with flashback but you can also self mill you can just cast it you can uh find cards that entomb cards into your graveyard you can um you know, you can have these cards be resistant to counter magic your opponent's playing because you get a get a crack back at the second half if they deal with the first half. Um, you get to play with morbid where when a creature dies, you get a benefit from it. So now you want to be playing with stuff that lets you sacrifice stuff. Um, and I think I think that that self mill aspect of Innistrad is almost the one feature that feels like it's been missing as we've done returns to these graveyard mechanics. And now I haven't played Brothers War. Uh, I haven't, I, we talked about before the show, like for some reason, it's this black hole of magic for me. Um, I've been very busy for the last three weeks. So I do know that like on earth is back and maybe this type of strategy is available in that format, but, um, even, even like, and, and, and the places that I think got closest are stuff like Ixel, not Ixalan, Amonkhet, but I think Amonkhet also has like some of the cooler drafted environments that you can play. Oh yeah. Super fun draft environment. And it's like. It's like how to do and how to interact and build like a kind of a graveyard is sort of death and life and renewal sort of set. 
without it being just so unbelievably busted and or also having it be like so many misses because like mechanics maybe don't work or because like a thing with say like judgment for instance or torment you know those those kind of smaller sets in that era of, of say odyssey block where they were so focused on the graveyard is like you have a, a mechanic like threshold where yeah it makes sense in theory but then all it takes is just having your graveyard wiped once and your nimble mongoose going from a three three down to a one one it's like such a huge like feels bad and so like you can do you can make graveyard mechanics and and make them kind of exciting to kind of like do the thing but if if it all just kind of wipes away once the graveyard disappears then that that's tough but like flashback is such a beauty in that you can have you know you have the ability to at least cast a thing with priority and get to do stuff and kind of have agency in the game even if you don't have a lot of cool stuff in your hand and so it, it, it's such a testament on how in a shroud in terms of the design itself allowed people ways to have fun and ways to engage with the game even if they didn't really have a lot of cool stuff to look at while they were waiting to plan out their turn there. Yeah, and one of the things I was afraid about kind of coming into this episode was, and 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 it was kind of one of the ideas we had at the begin with was, oh, is it just going to suck because Innistrad has been outclassed because Snapcaster Mage and Liliana, these two classically iconic cards from the format don't see a lot of play. Grizzlebrand has been replaced as the number one. Reanimator target. Um, Faith is looting is banned. Lingering Souls is no longer the value engine card that it was. But then you provided a very nice list of every great card in the set. And and I honestly don't think it has. I think like there's so much legacy here from Cavern of Souls to um, Thought Scour to um, where's the zombie grave crawler to Jeroff's yeah. Messenger. Or Garoff, I'm never gonna know how to say that one correctly, and I it's don't like care to learn. It's like GIF, you know. Yeah. <laughs> let it ride. Just do whatever you please. Uh, it's GIF. Actually, is the correct yeah, way GIF, people pronounce okay. the I wrong. Yeah, everyone gets stuck on the G. <laughs> um, and and I I also don't you know I, I I don't think Snapcaster Mage and Liliana have fallen as far as people think they have. Right? I think mm-hmm. I think there's going to be times where both cards are good. I think that what they do hasn't been outclassed specifically snapcaster mage just showed up in a in a blue red um uh, uh is it list that just because it's it's good enough to play with murktide regent right like there there's there's going to be times these cards make comebacks and do better and and as long as they go away towards variety and there's a bunch of different blue drops that exist and a bunch of different mono black planeswalkers and a bunch of different strategies you can do there i think that's a net positive it's a net negative one. It's like, no, these cards are bad, but it's only these cards that are good. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see how modern kind of reacts to that. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's, there's an inherent challenge too. like, yes, it, there's a certain love of like seeing like, okay, this is Tiago Chun and we have Snapcaster Mage. And like, I, I myself have had a, a long storied career of getting blown out by, you know, somebody just, casting snapcaster mage and then casting a lightning bolt and blowing up, you know, my goblin pile driver or whatever, like that, that's definitely a thing, but it's eventually, yeah, we have to you know, embrace that certain things will get, you know, we'll have to move on and we'll have to depart from them. But there are certain other endearing, you know, enduring things, say from Innistrad block in particular that have stuck with us. 
maybe less exciting than, say, Snapcaster Mage. Like, we still have, like, Grafdigger's Cage is still an enduring thing, Garof's Messenger, Gravecrawler, Young Wolf, all that sort of stuff. So, and so I wouldn't be surprised if over time the the areas in which we pull from Innistrad in particular is just kind of shifts. The pace depends on what is good right now. And it, there is a there is something cool about how Liliana of the Veil has come back in both Standard and Pioneer because like maybe there's a new life that that card can discover. Even if it's in different formats, there's still someone that can get hooked from that particular experience. Well, no, I mean, we're, we are in a weird moment where like, I spent such a long time in modern looking at the ban list and hoping things would come off. I'm I'm still sure. doing that. Not that, you know, uh, but like, you know, looking at Stoneforge mystic, looking at Jace, looking at, uh, uh, wild McCoddle, <laughs> looking at, looking at bitter blossom, uh, being like, are these cards too strong? These are some amazing cards. These are really cool. Maybe they can come off. And, I've now evolved into looking at pioneer and looking at cards that are legal and modern, but have been outclassed and like, just like, can they print snapcaster mage in the standard? Can't like they printed Liliana the veil. Can they print Tarmogoyf in the standard? I don't even think Tarmogoyf printing in the standard is an issue. I don't think that card's good in standard. I mean, it's fine, but it's not like anything overtly problematic and, are those cards good to add to modern or, or pioneer? Is it fine that pioneer doesn't have them? You know, is Snapcaster Mage and pioneer even that powerful without lightning bolt uh, and path to exile, right? That that's a totally different environment for that card to exist in. I probably, it's probably good, but it's not snap bolts, you know, bolt, snap bolt. Good. <laughs> um, and uh, like, and they've done, you know, Thoughtseize is in Pioneer, Liliana's in Pioneer. They're slowly adding all the good black cards. Where's the good blue and red? <laughs> Where's the good blue and white cards? <laughs> like, like, and there's weird cards. Like, Stoneforge Mystic could be printed and probably wouldn't see play. Uh, like, yeah. I, I don't even, like, what, what, what equipment. What are you going to get with it? The li- the new lion that's like a, a, a scavenging ooze, maybe, is like the best thing I could think oh, of. I guess, I guess. Yeah, Lion Sash. I mean, sure, I, you could. And like is that pro I think that sounds sweet. Give me a format where I'm Stoneforge yeah. Mystic for Lion Slash <laughs> instead of uh Cauldra Complete and and uh you know uh any of the swords because the swords aren't legal, right? Yeah, they're not, none of Scars of Mirrodin no. isn't included. Yeah, Scars of Mirrodin and all that and Dark Steel and everything. I mean you you can play Legacy because you can get Lion Sash with that and Death and Taxes, but but yeah, it it yeah, it's like it's this weird thing of like it's only as good as what you can grab with it. Like like for instance, I think a, a fascinating thing when looking about looking back at Innistrada before this episode, I went and looked back because I played a lot of Innistrad Return to Ravnica Standard back when I was in college when this set was out, and you know it's it's widely touted as like one of the best standard environments that we've ever had. And I thought like, okay, what like I know Reanimator was a thing because of Imperial Rights. What was what was going on with Grizzlebrand because I don't really remember seeing it. And I was looking through deck lists and there really wasn't a grizzle brand and like reanimator wasn't even that much of a, a big deal because like a burial rights is the only reanimation spell you had in the format. And so, it, you know, it's a whole, whole lot to commit to compared to say like legacy reanimator with reanimate and exhume and stuff like that. And so it is fascinating to see how certain things kind of blossom into something new and then how certain things kind of like grow and develop and who knows, Maybe we'll see some, you know, random gem just get kind of plucked out of this particular era 
because of some random enabler that gets printed well, now. If they if they printed Faithless Looting without the flashback, right? Or are they printed um, like Faithless Looting, but war, like draw two, uh, draw one, discard two, right? Like that. That's <laughs> a wild card to print. Sure, but, yeah. Um, like because because Grizzlebrand going out of favor is purely just Faithless Looting got got banned and the time they printed a good reanimator spell which was modern horizons 2 specifically made it was specifically printed to make it so grizzlebrain can't be reanimated with it right so so you ended up just in a situation where it was like the decks that were previously taking advantage of grizzlebrand were being held together uh like apollo 13 and duct tape with faithless looting <laughs> pretty much <laughs> uh and we're a pile of ins- and and to the point like grishel brand is an insane deck like sure it, it took not, every single card in the deck was legal and modern for basically the entire history of the format people didn't figure out that deck was even possible for five years and <laughs> arguably shouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that gr- the green shoal end up being a modern staple is insane and bad. <laughs> I mean, it was wonderful, but uh, like mad, mad men behind that, that invention. Uh, and before that, the Goryeo's vengeance decks were famously like really glass candy that like, basically you needed to get faithless looting on turn one into grizzle brand into Goryeo's vengeance. Otherwise this deck didn't do anything. <laughs> and once you lose faithless looting the deck just like that was that was the the duct tape and we're no longer i don't want to bring up a different tragic space adventure but we're no longer apollo 13 um yeah. and and it's you know it's one of the famous things like it's one of the reasons i think the faithless looting ban i lean towards it being worse that it was banned than on than it being legal mm-hmm. which is super debatable and we could do an entire episode just about should faithless sure. looting be legal but like Yes, Faithless Looting was a fuel for the broken deck multiple times in the format, in the way that Mox Opal was, and the way that other banned cards were. But it also, what say again? Over like several years, like it doesn't matter. Like even though it wasn't that big of a deal at the time, over like a couple of years of like say like the Hogak decks, the Reanimator decks in Legacy, or like you look at like a like a deck like Dredge or like Phoenix, like yeah. It, it found a home in so many different places, but like in reality, like faithless looting is only as good as the things that it's pitching away. Like in Popper, for instance, it, it, it faithless looting really is only a way of filtering away in one particular deck, the Boros bully deck, you filter away the squadron Hawks that you get. So you can keep all the other cool stuff that you want, or you've been a rally of the peasants, which coincidentally is from Innistrad <laughs> itself yes. here. I love every time I see Rally Peasants, Rally the Peasants in that because that card is like underratedly bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's you know the fact that Mardu Pyromancer just is no longer a deck, right? The fact that Grishel Brand died, the fact that you know that that's that's I think I think that's a bigger loss than Hogak needing to be banned and maybe Phoenix needing to have been banned, but you know who who we're now in a world past that and, and it, it's kind of one of those things that i hope wizards recognizes that and figures out a way to print fixed faithless looting because we haven't gotten it yet but we could still um and and we'll 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 see i mean it, it's definitely it's definitely one of the like types of cards that i'm always on the lookout for so one of the one of the cards i did want to talk to you about is like the prolific rise and the sort of but not really of Thalia. It's like I've I've been in love with the card ever since I you know the first person to scoop 
to me when I was playing Naya Humans back in 2012. And they they looked at their hand and they're like, well, I could have done this, but because of the Thalia and that was it. So I was sold on it since. But it, it has seemed like Thalia has like practically disappeared from modern. And it, it at least with Legacy, when it comes to Death and Taxes, it, it's one of those cards that like, yes, of course, it, it's good. But it does seem like it's kind of hanging on by a thread. And now it's gone that route that like Liliana has gone and potentially Snapcaster is that, you know, it's back in standard. It's back in pioneer. It, it can be anywhere. It's just youthful night, right? Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I think I think it like it's lack of play in modern is like entirely on the back of elementals. That that the best the best yeah. creature removal spell is no longer a non creature, um, which like maybe is an argument all on its own that they should have just been spells and not creatures. And uh, the the Thalias of the world and the fact that most creature decks no longer can fight them are 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 hurt due to that. But yeah, to your point, like it's it was back in standard. It's now it's now legal in Pioneer. It's 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 if you want to play Thalia, you can in formats that she's good in in in, in the right metagame. So um, it is a good like point. I mean, like, you know, there's always been the argument, especially because Stoneforge Mystic was so was banned for so long that is, is Thalia actually the real two drop? It, you know, it's the one that's seen more consistent play across all these formats. I think it's just Fury. And maybe a little bit solitude, but I think solitude is less of an issue. I think like fury it's on its own is just this big inhibitor to stuff like Thalia being good and modern. Yeah. And, and I do think that fury, I think I can say this. I think fury should be banned in modern. This is maybe a, a hot take, a, maybe a furious take. Uh, <laughs> I think that's like, obviously a like a circular circular conversation, but I think of the five elementals, and even the five, the five uh, uh, forces, uh, it's which the two forces, if we're being honest, <laughs> um, it's the one that is inhibiting the most decks from seeing play that would see play and not and be totally fair. Um, right. Like it, it, it probably has the most detrimental effect on the format whole, including humans being kept down vampires keeping you know the, the innerstrad tribe spirits like all no, of these decks, are decks just, spirits everything and like just fury is single-handedly and it's not like totally single-handedly like they printed other good removal into the format but i think it's the one thing keeping the fair decks down i've like argued that you could unban is punishing fire you said yeah punishing fire i've been argued a bunch that you could unban punishing fire and i think right now you could if fury is sure. legal punishing fire should not be banned the moment that Fury, because and, and I also think Punishing Fire would be good against Raghavan and, and gives Red Green decks a cool tool that you can use and Jun get whatever. But I, I think what should happen is Fury should be, <laughs> I guess, is the real answer, because um, I just don't think Punishing Fire does anything in a format where there no no X ones can see play. Yeah, and I think like I think like Thalia is such an important thing for balancing out a format because, you know, she's such like a signpost build around as far as like it's your two drop it's a first strike it's hard, you know she's hard to kill she disrupts people but i think you know thalia is at her best when you know she's causing a cryptic command to cost five or a coligan's command to cost four or she's taking blood braided elf and keeping it so you can't just tap out on turn four and then cast something for free because it's you know you're not gonna be able to pay the piper so to speak but the challenge is all the, you know, those three cards that I've mentioned don't really kind of see as much play in the formats in which we, you know, engage with maybe K command, but, but nevertheless, like, 
I think a, a challenge with Thalia right now is like, there are just so many good answers at say one and two mana, even say like expressive iteration and legacy. Like you can just, you know, filter away what you don't want, find the land that you need to pay the tax and just go for it. And then just bolt or unholy heat or whatever. So Thalia being challenged, I think is, is definitely a challenge that's harming the health of certain constructed formats. And I think when she's good, then that's great because then you have that kind of mono white low to the ground creature deck that can kind of police those slower, you know, non-creature spell or removal spell heavy deck sort of things. But, but yeah, her kind of fall for grace, but then sort of rebirth into pioneer is fascinating. But I think there definitely needs to be, I think she needs to be better in order to keep, you know, that kind of fundamental balance. And I'll admit I'm heavily biased. I've been a Thalia fan for over a decade, but I think she's as important as having like, you know, a good control deck or a good aggro deck in the format. So I, I do think a Thalia exists in modern that is seeing real play and it's Hex, Hex Catcher Mage, right? It The new Merfolk that literally made Merfolk a, went from being an unviable deck in the format to, to being a top 15 deck in the format uh with dominaria united hexcatcher mage is is a big part of that she does you know she she is a thalia plus right right they they give plus one plus one to all merfolk but they offer a you know it's not a it's not a soft counter the what thalia does which is everything costs a little bit more it's not a tax effect mm-hmm. but it is a it's a count you know it, it is a does basically the same thing because they at any moment can just counter your spell unless you have one mana open. Uh, so, so I do think that like if I, if I, if someone was like, Hey, I played modern a ton before COVID and I have, I have unlimited dollars, not unlimited dollars, but I have, I have a decent amount of money. I can buy pretty much any deck. Don't recommend to me a John to whatever, but like any, any of the main decks. Um, but I, I used to play humans and I don't know what to play anymore. I would, I would point them directly 100% full chestedly at, at Merfolk right now. The, the, the fact that a, it's an aether vial deck B it's a, I get all my creatures bigger and, and beat down deck, but it is a, it plays interaction. And it also like where humans would uh, meddling mage your hand, Merfolk locks them out of their lands, right? You're, you're playing, you're playing spreading seas like effector. There's the new Merfolk that is a spreading seas attached to a Merfolk. You're playing tap down creatures or playing return effects. And, and I think that does offer that style of gameplay in a way that is fury resistant, which, you know, I think one of the other reasons that blue has a chance and then spirits might also have that ability, which I think is maybe an under radar option is subtlety is also like the answer to fury, right? It, it's it's uh, we had Nikachu on uh, about a year ago. Uh, now uh, and we talked kind of like how subtlety is the frost titan of the uh, <laughs> the the elemental cycle where it's like it's a bad card unless every one of the other cards in its cycle are seeing play and then it's the best card to fight them <laughs> and like, so perfectly because yeah. i remember playing against grave titan back in innistrad return to ravnica standard and and dealing with that and and all that but um what yeah, it was, like it was hilarious in the day where like one spoiler season happened, they're like Grave Titan, yes, Inferno Titan, yes, you know, uh uh Primeval Titans busted, uh Sun Titan's gonna be so good in commander, and it's like a really cool card. Frost Titan is terrible, bulk rare, and then like yeah. six months later it's like, oh I don't know, I think it was like a month later, it was like, oh right, uh this is the answer to Primeval Titan. <laughs> 
in your own Titan. That's weird. <laughs> um, not to mention land destruction and a Johnny in the blue red, uh, the blue red, the Jeskaya Johnny Frost Titan uh, mana destruction deck. That deck was sick. Uh, I love that era of magic so much. But I, I agree with you that like Thalia should just be good in every magic format it's in. I, I think that that's that's like maybe a truism of magic. And the moment we stepped away from that is the moment we stepped away from Avacyn, uh or God. <laughs> um, and and if I was in the position of power to manage the format, I would look at like, OK, how does Thalia what went wrong here and, and how is it fixable or is it a problem? Like, it, you know, the, the thing with Fury and the, the, the elementals is they just happen to attack on the one access Thalia is not ready to protect against. And if they weren't inhibiting other play styles, then there's maybe an argument. Cause I actually think in general, I'd love to actually like hear your thoughts on it. I think the increase in good removal that has been brought on by modern horizon sets is one of the benefits that they've brought into the format. I think from a competitive play perspective, one of the complaints with modern was always like, I'm actually just playing roulette. If I get good matchups, I'm great. If I get bad matchups, mm-hmm. too bad. And those formats, those sets have brought in a library of good enough generic answers like Force of Negation, like Fury, like Solitude that allow you to have a flatter matchup perspective at the negative of, you know, all of the value being surrounded by mythics and rares from one set, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could kind of expand that out into the whole concept of like threats and answers. And and so like, for instance, I've throughout the COVID pandemic, I fell in love with pre-modern as far as the format goes. And and that's, you know, very much the boomer format of playing, you know, with the you know, stuff from nineteen ninety-four to two thousand three. But that was very much the era of answers and like say like spells and stuff are way better than the creatures like you would have things like factor fiction and counter spell and days and lightning bolt and all that and then just random stuff like weathered wayfarer or like lightning angel thing you know like how how can you expect to play an exalted angel a six drop that you have to play morph and then flip over when someone can just swords to plowshares them like the last event that i played i registered blasterder and and so like that was an era when like the threats were way worse than the answers but now the threats have gotten just so much better and in a sense they're also the answers at least with these say the pitch elementals in particular and so you can both answer stuff and then be a threat afterwards with that so i think the 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 stuff that they're doing now has pushed the needle from not only making the the threats better than they were before, but also making them answers too. And so by putting them together, like how can just like a Coligan's command compete with that? Like how can that compete when you can just flash something in and then ephemerate it? And then all of a sudden you have a double striker that you didn't pay anything for, like say with fury, for instance, or whatever you're going to be doing, say in the modern format. But yeah, like kind of just streamlining stuff and making it so good. Like, what reason do you have to pay two or three or four for like a Doomblade effect that maybe draws you a card or something like that? No, it 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 is like, and some of some of it is I think they like Wizards overswung in a way that maybe is fine, but is is 
standard is bad when the removal is too too good right like sure. that 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 i think is a thing that they've learned where like oh if the removal in standard is dominating control will just like destroy the other decks and that does make a boring format and so they looked at modern horizon sets as like okay we can't print counterspell into standard can we print it into modern and and that's their way around it but I, so so last last thing on Innistrad, just because I want to make sure we keep the focus around it. If sure. if you could print any card from Innistrad into Pioneer, which card that hasn't already been printed, which card would you choose? That is a very good question. And I want to hear comments below, everybody. Let me see those Innistrad reprint comments. Okay, so. I'll, I'll recognize my bias. I, I, I like to play like kind of creature aggro decks. You know, I like to play like super fair, like kind of thoughtsies, tap back control kind of stuff. So initially I think of Snapcaster Mage, but I think that's too, that's too basic. That's too simple. I want to see what people do with Pioneer with Past and Flames, because I think it's easy to forget that Past and Flames comes from Innistrad. And so like whatever because like we don't have as many of the storm things that that are out there but cultivating some kind of combo deck that uses pass and flames i think would be would be a really interesting thing to work with and you at least without i mean you have goblin electromancer and i but you don't have grape shot you don't have empty the warrens so it would be fascinating to see what kind of things people come up with pass and flames or even if they just have it be like a value thing like for instance with like we like reanimator was an archetype in in a shroud return to ravnica standard but it really wasn't reanimator as we know it like sure you had you could reanimate an angel of serenity and they ran like one or two of them but it wasn't like reanimator and legacy where you're just going all in like people were playing main deck scavenging ooze and everything. And so there wasn't much of a reason to really dive too deep into that. You know, Umbrial Rights was just kind of a value train to work with your flicker engines of Thragtust and, you know, um, Restoration Angel. So Pass and Flames, I think, would be an interesting thing to build out that is both an enabler and kind of a build around, but not being inherently broken. Like you gotta you gotta work for it to make something interesting. I think I think yeah I think the the closest thing to us well there's like thousand year storm but there's a uh, Aetherflux Reservoir I think is like mm-hmm. one of the other storm wind cons but I agree or yeah uh, but but yeah I think that'd be really cool I, th- I think also it's just like such an open-ended thing you can do that it offers something really powerful that as an incentive but what are the payoffs um i think i think i'm gonna be lazy uh and i'm gonna pick lingering souls i don't know how lazy that is uh i like i think like snapcaster mage is not totally gone in 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 modern i think that the moment that like i think it's a little bit like what the moment they print a good thing for it the flashback is the moment it becomes like good again and in the moment it's decent um Mm -hmm. i think that like lingering souls has a very long road for it to ever come back in modern, but lingering souls and pioneer is a totally fair card. It lets you do really cool things. Maybe it's like a little too good in the, in the grease fang decks, but even then I don't even know if they'd play it. And it's just it the most fun. It's like one of the most fun cards I've ever cast in my life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, that is such a, it's such an interesting kind of compelling design because like it, it kind of leads you to what you want to do. Like, okay, well, 
I can pay three and then I can pay two for this, pay five for, you know, four spirits. Or I can, you know, pitch us into the graveyard and then cast it back, you know, flash it back for two. Like it it does kind of lead you to the water, so to speak, very easily with without it being so obvious. And so, yeah, like it 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 hits that note for flashback cards where it's like it's it's not like super good, like you would just play it wherever. But it, it entices you. It's like a little carrot to kind of reach for to the idea of like, oh, let me flash it back and make two flyers kind of stuff. I, I can see that being fun. To there's like an, enough. It's versatile enough that there's like a bunch of different ways you can take advantage of it. It does enough of an incentive to like, oh, I do want to discard this to Liliana the Veil. I don't always want to. Sometimes I just want to spend this for three mana and then cast it for two mana. But if I have Liliana or I have... Uh, other ways to take advantage of it the threats it create are never going to be world dominating but they're going to be great yeah. for stabilization um and it might not even be good like within a world where parhelion and arclight phoenix are what you're you're combating against maybe it's just not good enough but i think that there's a lot of cool things you can do with it and incentivize gameplay styles from self mill to s- discard jund like style decks but also just like token strategies, you know, go, going wide yeah. spirit based strategies become more available and, and bringing it full circle back to spirits. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And then you can get the, then you get the RK post tokens that are use K Yurameshi spirit tokens, which is what I use for lingering souls in my Canadian Highlander deck. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, I need to see those tokens at some point. Oh, yeah, I'll um, send you a photo. They're wonderful. Um, all right. So uh, thank you so much for joining the cast uh, uh, this week. It, it, it's been a great to finally get you on. Uh, is there uh, where where can people where, where last chance to send them somewhere? Where, where are they? Where are they finding you? Yeah, so you can find me on hipstersofthecoast.com. I have a column that comes out every other week on Wednesday. It's called Far Wanderings. But I will make the plug for all other wonderful, talented writers on the site. And then personally, you can find me on Instagram at Travis underscore Norman. Although uh, I will give a disclaimer, I don't talk about magic on that. It's more of just like outdoorsy kind of stuff. So if you're going looking for magic content, you may be disappointed. It's it's I feel like we talked at the beginning uh, during the Patreon, which everyone should check out our Patreon, a bunch of cool stuff there about how it's good to have hobbies outside of just magic. And and if you want to yeah. learn about Al's Dorsey bikey stuff, it's a great it's a great follow and uh, <laughs> make sure to, you know, check out all of our sponsors, Channel Fireball, Alter Sleeves uh, and make sure, you know, if you're looking on TikTok and you're not following me, get on it uh, at Kess Wiley um, and we will talk to all of you next week. Thank you so much, uh, Travis, for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. Been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into.